because you're jumping back into the gut. All right. Hey, Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. All right, coaches, welcome to this week's podcast. Super excited to have Rob Paternostro here. He's an American professional basketball coach, but he's head coach of the Leicester Riders in the British Basketball League and has been in Britain for a long time. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Coaches' achievements and uh, a lot of people, in fairness, aren't as familiar with the BBL League, but you've been five-time coach of the year. You're fourth all-time in coaching wins, which uh, you just passed Nick Nurse, right? Yes. Yeah. Big name. That's pretty cool. And 730 winning percentage, fourth all-time winning percentage, 13 major trophies, four playoffs, five cup titles, four league titles. And the list goes on and on in terms of two different times that you three-peated the league title. So just tremendous success in the British Basketball League, Coach. Yeah, it's been a heck of a ride. And I think what's so satisfying about it is when you know, we arrived, uh, it wasn't going that way for this club and it really never had. So we had, uh, the only way was up, which was, uh, appetizing for me when I took the job. And not only did we have that type of success in the 13 years I've been here, we also built our own arena as well. So both on and off the court, we've been able to make a, an impact here. It's a great city, a great fan base. So it's been a, uh, a heck of a ride. First, give people an impression of the BBL League, because I think, again, it's a league that has developed over time, still has a ways to go, but it's it's really good basketball now relative to what it was 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that, um, you know, I, I had the fortune, I was fortunate enough to play in the league as well. And when I played in the league in uh, the early 2000s, uh, it was really good back then. Big TV contract at the time talented, talented players in the league. I think it took a dip from about 2003 to maybe 2009, 10 or so. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It is uh, it is definitely uh, improving every year. This season, when you look at some of the teams and some of the names on the teams, where they have played, what they have done, you could uh, certainly see the growth. And uh, we're expecting big things for the future here. England is a uh, it's a sleeping giant here with basketball. Kids are playing in everywhere. So eventually, I believe that this could be a real powerful league. Well, that's great. And uh, what are some of the keys to your consistent success there? I mean, let's go beyond players, uh, beyond obviously your coaching uh, support from obviously the organization, the city. What do you think some of the other factors are? Has it just been identifying the right players for your type of system? Yeah, I just think players are important, of course. It's super important, recruiting. But I think competitiveness has been the most important thing. I think when we start the season from opening day of practice till the end, we're trying to find different ways to compete every day. Uh, In practice, we really value that. We keep score with everything. We have a board, a competitive board where, you know, you could see what place you're in for the week and just keeping that competitive fire going throughout a long season with challenging times. I think that's been a major factor for us. We want guys here that understand how important it is to compete and the value it is to bring it uh, on a consistent basis, both in practice and in games. 
Well, I know you excited coaches when you talked about competition and being competitive, because that seems to be one of the most popular topics for us as coaches. And, and you've mentioned this and you've referenced this, and that's the competitive cauldron. Where did you get the competitive cauldron information? And uh, let's talk a little bit about how you apply it as well. Yeah, um, one of my assistant coaches, Mark Jerem, who is the head coach of Loughborough University uh, here in, in right outside of Leicester, uh, he came to me with it and um, and we ran with it. We, uh, Mark, you know, would put we have these video boards at our arena and, um, you know, the first time we used the, first, the guys came in and saw all their names in a, in a, in a list and they were uh, able to watch as the practice went on what their score was. So if we're in a five-on-five five game, the team that wins, everybody gets a, a point. If we're in a shooting drill, top four scores get a point. I mean, you could do it any way you want, but when we get to the end of the week, we have a winner, we have a top four, and the guys really get into that. Uh, you know, when you're doing free throw shooting and you're keeping track of what they're doing, uh, the focus and concentration uh, is totally different, we found. And that is in every drill that we do. So um, it's a little bit of fun, too. And I think that that's part of it here when you're with a group for nine, 10 months is, you know, you want to make it fun and competitive and, and the guys are, you know, um, breaking each other's, you know, what about who's ahead and who isn't. So, uh, it's, uh, it's been a great, uh, great thing for us in so many ways. It's improved our free throw shooting too. And I think that's one area that every coach will talk about being important in winning and losing. Uh, but we noticed right away when we we're keeping track and, and we got these guys, you know, looking up at that board after they take their free throws, uh, the free throws percentages have, have gone up. Well, I, I love I love all this, and uh, I love having it on the big board. Like the real time part of that, probably again, it gamifies it for your players, which is really cool. Unfortunately, most of us don't have access to that type of thing. But maybe take us into how how are the real time stats being tracked? Do you have managers there tracking them? Is that how that's working? Yeah. Well, we have an assistant coach or a couple of assistant coaches, and yeah, that you know when we do that, that is um, that is what their job is. Not too hard, really, to do. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're watching them, you know, keep track of maybe in a shooting drill of how many they have. And, you know, sometimes they have to be honest, obviously, you know, we can't, we can't count everyone's shooting. Um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that the guys get into and it's something that the guys have, um, uh, have gotten better with. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I've talked to a lot of young coaches about it and, you know, keeping these guys engaged is always a challenge. And, you know, when you can, when you're keeping score, they're engaged. Well, making it uh, accessible in that way that you can do this. Cause I think a lot of coaches, they think to the Anson Dorns, uh, method uh, or method of doing competitive Calder or Dean Smith. And, you know, you visualize all these people on the sideline tracking all this data and all this information, but really it doesn't have to be that complicated is what you're saying. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Uh, you know, again, you know, you play, let's say you play a three on three on three and it's pretty simple. That winning team uh, is going to get the points uh, for the day. Um, you know, let's say you're playing in a, uh, you know, you're doing some kind of defensive shell drill that we have that's competitive. That team is getting the points. And I think that it's a good way to see, uh, you know, who's who's winning the week, who, who's brought it this week. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not not hard at all. And, you know, you can run with it in any way you want. And that's like with a lot of coaching, with whatever you do and whatever play you see, you know, you can go on basketball merging, you see all these sets, maybe you, you could twist it a little way. Maybe you could do something different. And I think it's similar with this competitive cauldron. Uh, and I, and I do think that, um, 
you know, it's easy. And I do think that your team will, uh, will love it. I think the players really, really enjoy it. Well, the way you're describing it, again, it makes it a no-brainer. I think all coaches who definitely value score, and we should value score, right? Because the one benefit of this, too, the way that you're doing it is your players can see the score in real time. And some coaches may counter, well, then, you know, too much pressure or this is an learning environment, et cetera, et cetera. But really, what you're fostering is a competitive environment. So they need to know the score to compete. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, we're playing, uh, you know, a game in the two days from when we're, we're competing in practice. We want that same kind of competitive fire uh, then. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think the guys really understand when they come here and they play. And, you know, we're dealing with professionals here. We're dealing with guys coming from major programs, coming from all over. So they've been used to that kind of pressure, no doubt. But um, we want them to understand how important it is to compete here. And, uh, you know, when you, know, you have a year where you go 42 and four, 42 and five, uh, you got to keep that fire burning for the next year. And, and we found that, that um, that's a way to do it. Well, and that's uh, that's going back to Anson Dorrance with North Carolina soccer, the women's program. He talked about someone like Mia Hamm, that she never lost a game essentially in her career. But then she said, well, I lost every day in practice. So that you learn how to compete through that practice, especially when you've been as dominant as you guys have been. That's such a great point. Yeah, no question. And I think it's um, it's good to take uh, a loss here and there. It's good to, 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 to you know, I think that's you know, the reason why I like to win so much is because I hate losing, you know, and I think from an early age as a as you know, someone who played every sport in my neighborhood, it was all about who was winning all the time. And I think that um, you have to learn to deal with the losses. It has to hurt a bit so you can really uh, come back out and next practice, next game and, and get in that win column. Very cool. Maybe last thing on this then is uh, what type of rewards, what type of fun things are you doing to be able to reward winners at the end of the weeks? Uh, you know, we haven't done too much. I mean, I think there's been a couple times where we've done something with food or you know, maybe um, these guys are of age, so maybe a particular bottle or something like that. But um, no, nothing, nothing crazy. I think what's what's nice about it is that you don't need a reward. Uh, I think just the fact that their name is up on the board and we put it in the locker room as well after practice, just the fact that their name is ahead of their teammates is enough reward for the guys that I like. Uh, on my team, I think that uh, is enough to, to, to know that uh, I'm the winner and I beat you today. That's awesome. And we're going to talk about some maybe defensive focus, but I'm sure we'll go a bunch of different places. But one of the things that I know you emphasize, which we haven't talked about that much on the podcast, and that's do not foul. That fouling is bad. Can you talk to me about that philosophy and then how you drill it? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I know Coach Calipari. I've heard him talk about it, you know, uh, years ago, and it really stuck with me uh, when he talked about it. You know, uh, there are some coaches out there and everybody's different that think that if you have, you know, two fouls at the end of the first half or first quarter or whatever, you're, you're not playing hard enough. I disagree. I believe that, um, you know, one of the best ways to win is to limit your fouls. Uh, Obviously, you want to keep them off the foul line. You want to keep your players on the court. Uh, I think early on in our practices, I call a lot of fouls, you know, like uh, especially when we're working on the defensive stuff. And I don't want guys getting used to getting the calls. No, it's not for that. But it's used to our guys on defense to know that if I put my hand in there, even though maybe I didn't touch him, it looked like you did. And you give someone an opportunity to blow that whistle. And, you know, from watching so much video over the years, 
And, you know, when you're watching other games, whether on TV at home or when you're scouting or whatever, you see so many times a guy's driving to the basket and you think, you know, he, he doesn't have a good chance to make that shot and they get bailed out. And I, I, I really try to focus on not bailing guys out, making guys make tough shots. We're fine with guys making tough shots over the top of us or whatever. But um, yeah, I think that there's so many times that silly fouls are conv- committed where there was no chance for the other team to score. And I think you see that at the highest of levels and even you know, in a lot of the youth basketball that I'm watching when you really don't need, um, you know, that uh, foul uh, when a guy's going, you know, 15 feet away from the basket fading away. Hey, coach, I know I've told you about this before, but bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers award shows, TV and reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your sports book experts. Please use promo code ARMCHAIR at checkout. So do you call fouls in practice? Is that one of the ways that you emphasize this? Because I know some coaches' yeah. philosophy is not to call fouls ever in practice. Well, look, uh, there's times for that as well. I want guys playing through fouls. Uh, you know, the last thing I want is guys getting used to looking up at the referee every time they feel a bump. So, you know, it's pick your poison with that. But I do make a big deal of it in practice when I feel like a guy commits a silly foul. I just think that um, if we can eliminate that for our defense, we'll have a much better chance of winning. And fortunately for us, I've had plenty of intelligent players here who get it, plenty of long athletic players who don't have to foul. So it is something that we've built our, our defense on and a lot of our success is down to that is down to making sure that teams if they're going to score you know they're going to make the shot we're not going to help them out by sending them to the free throw line so talk about some of the technique or tactics off the ball that you use that uh, limit the ability of your team to foul like are you playing in the pack are you playing scouting report specific defense are you denial what are some things that you're doing every year is different because of the personnel you know in our in our uh world here, we have a big changeover every year. I mean, it's very rare that we come back with more than three players from, you know, it's the way it is. And it's part of the way we recruit. We like to get guys that are ambitious and hungry and maybe feel like they, uh, you know, can play at, at the a higher level. We brought a lot of young guys over. So, so it, it, it changes each year. So, you know, I don't like to um, run the same stuff offensively each year, run the same stuff defensively each year. It depends on what I have, but scouting report is uh, is very important for me. A scouting report, uh, following that, uh, you know, we could be playing a team Sunday where there's three guys that you know you can you cover a totally different way than you cover the other three guys. Take the pick and roll for example. You know, every guy for me is going to be different on the pick and roll that we're playing against. Uh, maybe one team has one guy that we're going to have to get out there and hedge. We're going to have to. Um, these other some some of the other players now that we don't need to 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 waste our time with that we can we can cover them in a different way so scouting report is important for me but you know the fundamentals are are, are important chris at whatever level you're at and i think the good old fashioned being in a stance you know, the amount of times you watch on video and we had a video session 
um, you know, yesterday where we talked about pretty much the whole video session. We weren't in the stance enough. Uh, I think that, um, you know, when you're not in a stance and you're not ready away from the ball, I think you can get a little lazy, which could could, could uh, result in committing the poor foul. So players at this level, and we'll we'll come back to a little bit more about scout in depth of that. But players at this level, they're they're more uh, ready to be able to handle these different adjustments from game to game because that's generally how you play at the professional level. Correct? How do you balance that then with the fundamentals that you talked about? What are some ways that you build the fundamentals with a group that is prepared to be able to play multiple defensive coverages? Well, I'm, you know, again, we're going to go back to the recruiting a little bit here. I'm looking for intelligent players uh, when I recruit. I'm looking for players that have played in systems where I can see that they've been pushed on that end of the floor. It is a big deal for me. I, I don't think we've brought anyone over here who we've said to ourselves, well, I can't cover anybody, but sure can shoot. Now we're looking for, we're looking for guys that really are, are, are athletic, of course, strong, all that, but have that mental capacity to be able to to deal with stuff on the fly. Cause as you said, in the professional game, that's very important, but it's important in preseason, I think to put in what you want to put in and talk about how you want them to do it. Now, everybody's different. And like I said, each season, it can be different, but you know, fundamentals uh, are important, but we are, you know, sometimes we may only get three weeks in the preseason before we're going into a 45 game schedule. So, you know, we're pretty much learning on the fly during the season in a lot of ways too. So yeah, I think the intel- the more intelligent your players are, the, the more you can, can handle with them. Uh, so year to year, it changes. I don't, like I said to you, I, I, I cannot say that I've coached the same uh, 13 seasons. Now I have not coached the same way, run the same stuff, done the same things uh, year in, year out. It changes uh, all the time for me. So depending on personnel, depending on health of our team as well. Well, you talked about recruiting and the evaluation of trying to find smart players. So talk to me about that a little bit. What are some ways that you feel that you can identify a player is smarter than another player for what you're going to do? Well, obviously, you have to speak with uh, as many people as you can about the player. I think that has always been important for me here. Um, yeah, you want to speak to their 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 uh, coaches. Uh, that's important, no doubt about it, because they're with them every day. But um, you know, they're going to say nice things about their players. Uh, who doesn't, right? Somebody calls me up, I'm I'm going to say good things about my players. I, I I love them. You know, I want them to do as well as possible. Speaking to teams that compete against them has always been important to me. I think when you speak to and I speak to you know, especially when you're recruiting through college basketball, I have speak to so many assistant coaches who compete against certain teams and really have a good feel for not only what they do on the court, but they hear everything, those guys. So you can, you can get a feel for uh, what type of kid he is, how committed he is to, to playing team basketball. But then it's the, the, the eye test, obviously on video, uh, you know, watching as much video as you can possibly watch uh, to try to get an idea of how um, intelligent a player is. And, you know, you could look at the system that they run too. And, you know, if you're, if you're bringing in a guy from, especially playing for a, a coach who is, known uh, to be uh, great on that end of the floor and you watch them, they do such a good job in, in, in the games. 
it gives you a uh, a pretty good indication on where that player will be. But uh, Chris, it's certainly not an exact science. Uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of luck involved at times too of, of getting the right player. But you try to do as much research as you can uh, to try to bring the type of players you want playing for your team. It's absolutely not an exact science. You're absolutely correct. But <laughs> win percentage seems to suggest that you're pretty good at it <laughs> in some way. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, you're right. But, uh, you know, that's last year, year before whatever, we're in a new year now. So you can't think I, about that. You can't think about that too much, you know. But, um, but yeah, I think it's it's just good old, you know, old-fashioned work. I, you know, Chris, I've been in love with video for, for a long time now. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll get to it at some point, but I did work at ESPN for a year. Uh, and, and that was a real, real eye opener as far as video goes. And, and, and I'm, I'm the kind of guy that can watch video for, for hours upon hours. Well, I actually want to talk about that coach. Cause that was one of the interesting things for sure. In terms of your resume is just that, that reality there. And, uh, let's go there now. Like, what did you learn working at ESPN that helped you be better with video, for example? Yeah, well, look at that time I was still playing. Um, I had an injury. I'm from Connecticut. ESPN is 20 minutes away from where I grew up. So I did have a couple connections in there to get into the interview process. I got an interview. Uh, they asked me who had the best bullpen in the AL West, and I got that correct. Um, they asked all those kind of questions uh, that I've been waiting for all my life as a sports nut. Um, and I got in the door. And once I got in the door, uh, it was a fascinating place. Um uh, for me, I was lucky because after two months of being there, they recognized, you know, my basketball uh, career that I've had that I had coming into ESPN. And they put me right on the NBA Tonight Show. And uh, one of the main reasons why is they wanted me to interact with the coach that was there for the night, the player that was coming in for the night. And so my job, uh, you know, on that show, a lot of times was to come up with what we're going to talk about, uh, you know, from, from, for the analysis segment. So those guys, the coaches I work with and stuff, uh, they, they, they pretty much left it up to me. So I really was able to dig in and watch so much video. You know, we were covering the, the league full on. I, we, we did, you know, it was uh, Monday to uh, Saturday or so where we would, you know, have a full schedule of games, be watching all the videos. So that really, was my first opportunity of just diving into video and just being around, you know, these uh, you know, successful coaches and, and players that I had worked I worked with, and having being able to look at it from the way they look at it too. You know, I worked with Fred Carter, he used to coach uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. He was on the NBA tonight. He was he was great with me. He gave me a lot of freedom. Uh, but just, you know, picking his brain uh, every night was uh, was so valuable. And I think that, um, you know, I think from then on, I really fell in love with video, which became so important uh, with this coaching job that I that I picked up in 2008. That's very cool. It's very cool how different things that unexpectedly help you so much in your uh, career. But at the time, you're not sure what that's going to help you with. Yeah, because, you know, at that point, uh, I, I didn't know if I was going to go back to basketball. You know, I was I was in the TV world uh, to make a long story short. I was there for a year. It was, it was going well. Uh, but um, but I got a phone call to um, to come play in Birmingham, England for a team that was going to play in European competition. And um, and I went and I'm still here. <laughs> so um, who knows how, how it's going to play out. But 
that year at ESPN was so valuable for me, diving into the NBA, diving into video. And, uh, you know, I have to give the producers their credit. Uh, they recognized that I had a basketball brain and, and they really allowed me to run with it. No, that's very fun. Very fun. And we're going to get more into this basketball brain because I think you do a lot of really cool things defensively too, even though you talked about kind of your base and your base philosophy, you guys will also press. Can you talk about your use of press? Yes. Uh, I grew up in Connecticut in the eighties and Jim Calhoun was at uh, UConn uh, late eighties at Northeastern first. I remember watching him at Northeastern and he used to run this two, two, one press uh, and my high school team did it as well when I was playing. So I run a two, two, one press. And I, I, you know, ever since I started coaching, I've always had that in my bag. Um, you could run it many different ways. Uh, one of the most successful ways for us with the 24 second shot clock is to run a contain type press, you know, uh, a press where if it's offered up at the right time, we'll take the trap or we'll take the steal, but we're really not gambling in any way. It's a press that we want the other team to be out of position when they cross half court and only have 15, 16 seconds to get back into position to run their offense. And it's something that has been, you know, very useful for us here, especially when we've had the depth to do it all game. There have been seasons where we've had some real depth on this team and we've been able to rotate guys in and out to continue to do that. But also that press can be used in a different type of way when you're down points and you need a steal or you want to pick up the tempo. There's many different types of ways that you could use it. But that press, uh, it, it goes all the way back to me watching the UConn Huskies. I was a big UConn fan and big Coach Calhoun fan. And um, and actually running at Holy Cross High School in Waterbury, Connecticut. Ed Generale, my high school coach, we used to press you know, after every made basket, uh, one of the seasons I played for him. And, uh, you know, I wanted to bring it to this level here, which it's a challenge to press really good players at times. But uh, we've been able to uh, to utilize it to, to throw a lot of teams uh, off balance. Hey, coach, I know I've told you about this before, but bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers award shows. TV and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your sports book experts. Please use promo code Armchair at checkout. Hey, coach! Brief interruption to tell you about eBay sneakers. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you've been looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to get the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you. So you can shop confidently knowing your pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for more sneakers. Check out ebay.com slash sneakers today. A great coach to emulate for sure in terms of uh, uh, adapting things that are going to help you uh, with Coach Calhoun and everything they did there. And uh, you talked about adjusting it a little bit. So do you have some calls within it where you get more aggressive and you trap and you rotate? Is that a, a certain call that you would make? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, each each season with uh, each team is different for what you can do at times. But yeah, there we have. Uh, I'm not going to give you that. Somebody might be listening to what the call is. I'd have to change it for a week. You don't have to give do. the specific. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, no, uh, definitely. Uh, there are times where we have utilized that down eight with uh, three minutes to go where we can really uh, put you in a situation where you're going to get trapped and you're going to be, uh, it's going to be hard to get it over half court, but when we're in the contained press, it's not so hard to get it over half court. That's not what we're trying to do. It's all about the time and um, positioning. You know, there's, you come up against a team who you watch on film and they're coming up to court and they're running these beautiful sets and they're getting into it. Perfect. And, and then you say to yourself, okay, well, let's try to, to, to take them to 15 seconds on the clock. And let's see how that long set works uh, with 15 seconds on the clock. So I think that 24-second shot clock, uh, you know, can really help you with your press because you could put teams, uh, you know, in, in trouble, uh, you know, with their half-court offense if you, if you do it right. Well, I think the other point that you're making there is that you're generally, and this is what I found, so I'm curious if it's the same for you, when we did press – we generally knew when they got the ball over and finally into the half court that we were going to play against a high majority of ball screen. So we almost set that we knew what we were going to play against more because we pressed and we knew teams short clock would more likely go ball screen. So we weren't playing against, as you said, some of these complicated masking actions. It was more direct to ball screen. Are you finding that too? Yes. I mean, you know, that's what it, it comes down to. And it, 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 in the past, we've had these type of teams that switch a lot of the ball screens, too. So you can really jam them up in, in that situation. But, yeah, I mean, it depends. There are certain teams that you play against that you might say, well, you know what? They'll probably be better off, uh, you know, getting all those ball screens. Maybe maybe we'll we'll pull it back. We'll do something different. But, yeah, each team, each team's different. We've also used that press to deny a particular player that we we don't want to get the ball back. Uh, that's been good. You know, show that zone press, a couple of passes, it gets out of his hands, deny him. You know, maybe this team doesn't run the offense well without him. Maybe don't have a lot of ball screen players. You take it out of his hands. So, yeah, there's many things you can do. Uh, but, um, you know, it's 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 very important to, to disrupting uh, what the other team wants. I want to play against the team, and I want that other team to, to – after the ball goes in, I want them to say, oh, they're here again. and They're up here. This is awkward. You know, we want to make it as uh, as uncomfortable as possible because, you know, at this level, if you allow these type of guys to get comfortable, they're going to score. Yeah, it's such a great point. Uh, and I guess the other part that goes with this is that you will switch everything or will you just switch ball screens? Oh, we will switch. We'll switch a lot of things, uh, yep. depending on the personnel on the floor. I think that, um, you know, I I don't like to just switch everything all the time. I think there's certain, you know, there's certain uh, actions you don't have to switch. Stay with that matchup. And this is where you need a smart team. Right. You have to really be um, on the same page with it. Uh, but we also play a zone uh, off the press as well. You know, I think that's another way to really slow a team down, um, you know, playing playing that press and coming back to a zone, maybe showing zone, going man. So there's so much you can do with it. Uh, it's 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 enjoyable for me. Uh, it's one of the most enjoyable parts of basketball for me is to try to find the ways to um uh, to mix it up and to and and to disrupt and um, you know as I sit here today we're trying to work on that for this weekend. 
Well, and you've talked about the other thing that you do is that you'll go from zone to man during possessions, which I've always thought, especially with the 24 second shot clock can be very disruptive to an opponent. Yeah, we've, we've been doing that for a few years now. Uh, you know, I think maybe four or five years or so. And yeah, uh, you know, they see it, uh, they see that zone and, you know, I, I've seen a lot of teams do it where it's like one pass and they're back into man. That sometimes, you know, you get a pattern for that as an offense and, and you can still run your man stuff. Um, but, you know, we like to try to, um, you know, we use the center uh, who's ever in the middle of that zone to, to, to give it a call. We've had smart players in the past that were able to kind of read when is a good time to go in it. So it takes a lot of work that uh, that's something that, you know, in practice, you have to really work hard as a group to get comfortable. But again, disruption to the, to the offense. And you know, a lot of times you're going to see that ball screen. You're going to see one-on-one play from that. Well, I love that you just said that, that, that it's not just like automatically in this situation, like your players have to be able to make the decision and that's when it gets really good because then it becomes less predictable. We used to use something that was like, okay, as soon as one reversal to start with, and then it would be first ball screen. And then once they got a feel for those two things, then we found that they could start to make the decision on their own and make the call. Are you seeing similar type of progression for your players or do you just give them freedom right away to be able to make the decision to switch out of the zone? Yeah, every team's different. Again, I know I keep saying that, but yeah, I think uh, the best teams at it are teams that I give them the freedom um, to decide. And it's usually that five man. I need to have a smart five man in there that that has he could see everything from where he is. Uh, And I think that, um, you know, like you said, when the team doesn't know when you're going into it, it makes it much more. Uh, much more difficult to to go against, but it, it takes a lot of work. And, you know, there are times where it doesn't work out too good. And you question yourself, oh, should, you know, am I trying to be too cute? Um, but um, uh, for us over the years, uh, it's been another weapon in our, in our defensive arsenal. Oh, I love it. I love it. And uh, you talked about the ball screen. You talked about every player you play against is different. So you're going to have to cover differently, but how do you develop that? How are you coaching that in practice and developing that ability to be able to be, okay, this player's running the ball screen. We're in this and this player is running it. We're in that. Yeah. I think that you have to work on each, uh, you know, each way that you want to cover it. You know, I think that's important. I think that uh, from the beginning of the year, you have to give your, your players uh, different options on, on covering the ball screen. And and that takes a lot of work and, you know, a lot of time, no doubt about it, but, um, but yeah, it, it happens in the film room, I think. And when you're in the film room, I think um, you can sit there and you can show examples of why we wouldn't play this way against so-and-so, uh, why we need to play this way against so-and-so. So I think it goes hand in hand with all the video that you're watching. And then when you get down to practice, um, yeah, I think you could say, well, he's so-and-so and he's so-and-so let's uh, let's defend and let's see if we're uh, aware of how we're defending it. But like, you know, with everything, it, it does take a lot of work and, it, you know, it takes um, a lot of practice for your guys to, um, to understand uh, and be on the same page together. But the video room is important, Chris, for me, uh, I think it's, I don't like to have long, long sessions. I like them to be sharp, but I also like that the players have a voice in my video sessions, which I think they can take ownership once they have that voice. Obviously I'm going to make the decisions. They understand that, but um, hearing them, hearing what they have to say uh, certainly helps me make up my mind at times, but also gives them 
uh, a sense is that we're in this together and we're working together. And, you know, you could be in a final at the O2 arena in London, 14,000 people, fourth quarter. It's going to be hard for me uh, to make a call out on the court. They're going to have to do it. They're going to have to take ownership of that. And I think that, um, you know, that can be very valuable from day one, uh, allowing them to, to have some input. So, so take me into that type of uh, environment in your video sessions. Are you stimulating that conversation through questions? Are they generally engaging because, you know, they know the personnel or they have a preference of what they like to do? Yeah, you know, a little bit of, of that, no doubt. I think that, um, you know, from day one, uh, I do ask questions. And I think once I start asking those questions, they start feeling more comfortable with raising their hand and giving their input. You know, I said to them uh, recently in, in one of the video sessions is the last thing I want is you guys walking out of this room and saying and talking about it amongst yourselves where you didn't bring it up in here. You know, like, let's get it out in here. Let's all talk about it. And again, it's important that they know that I make the decision in the end. I'll make it. But, um, you know, I think that once we start these video sessions, they it's pretty clear uh, to them that, that they're going to have a voice. And uh, uh, I think it's very valuable. When I first took over the job, I started to realize that, hey, I just signed this guy from Baylor University. I just signed this guy from St. John. I just got this guy from Ole Miss. Like, you know, they've been in the trenches in some high level basketball. They, they, they know how it feels to get over the top of the screen. Uh, using uh, their knowledge uh, helped me. You know, I think that, um, you know, that, that was uh, important for me from the start is we got these guys that really understand the game and know the game. Let's utilize that and let's make sure that, um, you know, it's collaborative uh, in, in, in how we go about things. And I think that, uh, you know, players that have played for me would tell you that, that, that um, you know, I'm asking uh, their input um, all the time. Video and scout, very important for de defensive success. So talk to us then. You talked about uh, not wanting to have really long sessions in the video room. What are some other ways that you get the information to your players then? Well, yeah, nowadays it's a little easier than it was in, um, you know, 2008. I mean, it was, you know, I can remember doing the video back then. It was, it was hard to get the DVDs. I think we were at DVDs then. It was hard to get those. Um, I remember writing down, you know, where the particular play was. Uh, so I forwarded to get to, so it was a challenge back then, but I, I saw the value uh, in that. Um, but yeah, we send all our players, uh, the videos uh, to, uh, to, to their phones or their computers or whatever they want to do, whatever videos we have in the, in the room, we send them, we send them other stuff, but we're also with synergy now too. So we've been with them for maybe five, six years and players have access to that too, but we constantly send them stuff uh, and we know who's looking at them and who isn't. Um, so, it, you know, we really want to get that information out there for these guys. And uh, I talk about that from the beginning of practice, how important it is, uh, you know, to be on the same page as everybody else. So we want to make sure we have a group that um, when we send them this stuff, they're they're analyzing it, they're looking at it. And, and, and it's important, you know, you come up in these big games late in the game and, you know, they feel like they can do it without the help of the coaches. Well, I shouldn't say without the help, but they don't need to rely on the coaches in those moments. They can get together and they can, you know, um, you know, make the stops and make the plays themselves. And, and you find obviously with this generation of players that the video, they love video, right? I mean, they generally enjoy it. Um, and uh, you talked about keeping them accountable, that they're watching it. 
Then once they have the video and they've gone through it, how are you transferring their knowledge to the court? So in terms of scout? Well, we make sure that, um, you know, we go through each player here on video and give them their strengths and their weaknesses. You know, we're going to send them other stuff, of course, but whatever, whatever we really want to get across, we make sure we do it together in a room. Uh, that's, that's extremely important. Individual scouting is extremely important to us too. Um, we want to make sure we know everybody's tendencies and, you know, it, it, it may sound like, okay, keep them right. You know, keep them left. Um, it, it, it's harder than that to just do that. You know, you have to really drill it into these guys. They have to really, you know, we make mistakes all the time on that. We have to really drill it into these guys. And then the other thing is the sets for the, for the team. That's very important too. Uh, I've had some teams where, um, and this is maybe some of my proudest moments as a coach, you know, take away all the wins and trophies or whatever, but I can remember times where teams are coming up to court calling plays and our guys are, you know, knowing exactly where they're going, pointing it out here, there, that's a cross screen. This is going to be this, this is going to be that. Uh, that's pretty awesome too. And I, you know, I think that, um, you know, in the room, we go over it, we send it to them, we give them all that information, but yeah, I don't like the long, long video session. I think that, uh, you know, you could lose a lot of players in that. Now there are times where you need it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there are certain times where you need to get in there and, you know, it's a little different animal after a certain loss or the way you played, you know, there, there, there's time for, for a long one and for a different tone. But um, uh, but all in all, I want it short and sharp and fast. And and these guys have uh, have really adapted well to that. Take us through, if you don't mind. Uh, I mean, let's say you have a scenario where you, I, I, you generally have two, three days between games or how does that work there? OK, well. You know, this this season is going to be a little different. I think we'll have more games in a shorter period of <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, let's go with but, the traditional year, coach. Tra- traditional year. Um, well, yeah, we would play uh, you know two games on a weekend or one, uh, but uh, sometimes we we'll play Friday, Sunday, um, sometimes Friday, Saturday, just sometimes Saturday. So uh, you know, you get there, uh, you know, on Monday, and and here we go. Um, we like to get uh, the information on the other team out there as soon as possible. Uh, you know, we like to, uh, to make sure they know what the, our guys know what they're running and, and all that stuff, know the tendencies. And then we like to guard it on the floor. I think that's important for us too. And with the video boards we have at the Leicester arena here, the Morningside arena, we, um, can watch them, you know, they're in the sight line right behind the basket. So we can watch them and then cover it, you know, so we can say, okay, this is play two, you know, getting the calls for the play is important too, right? Play two and the guys watch it and they go, okay, well, here we go. Let's cover it. So uh, we spend a lot of time on that throughout the week. Now it can be challenging if you only have one day in between. Uh, So that's a whole different uh, way to prepare. That's pretty much crash course session uh, to prepare. But when you have that buildup, you have that time, uh, you could really lock in on that, which, um, which, you know, uh, you know, you don't you you don't want too many surprises in the game. If you could lock in on what they're doing, it's going to help that defense so much more. Uh, circling back to the beginning where we started, then how are you balancing then competition with game preparation? And I think mm-hmm. sometimes the reason I ask this is I think sometimes coaches think you can't compete and still get ready for a game. And I'm guessing in your philosophy, you can. Yeah, you can. And you all, the other the other element is, is where are we at health wise. Too. Uh, I course. think that that's 
you know, that's the toughest part of the practicing for me is to, to make sure that when we take the floor Saturday night, we have enough bullets in our gun. You know, we have enough energy. I don't want to bury them all week. And then Saturday, we don't look as good as we looked on Wednesday. Um, so that's a balance that's tough, but yeah, I think that, um, you can prepare, we can, uh, run, let's say we're playing against uh, London and we're running three of their sets. We'll, we'll, we'll go live with it. who stops them better, which team stops it better. You know, the, the, you got uh, three, three opportunities to stop it. We'll put it up on the board and you can play through it. It doesn't always have to be a walkthrough. Um, you know, we, we play them live and we compete in the same type of way we would if we were playing, you know, a five on five, uh, full court, you know, with our own stuff. It's, it's, um, it's pretty similar for me, but, uh, it's tough though, Chris, because, you know, it, depending on the health of your players, depending on uh, how many games you've played recently, you know, it's always tough to, to find that balance. I, you know, it's 13th season and, and I struggle with it all the time to, to, you know, I rely, we have a strength and conditioning coach I rely on him a bit to, uh, to see where the guys are at, because uh, the last thing you want to do is overwork them. But that being said, uh, you want to go in there with that competitive fire as well. So I'm imagining based on that, then one thing you'll do is you'll reduce the training time when you're finding that, again, you're you're overworking them, but you still want to keep the intensity high. And the easiest way to then balance that is to reduce the training time. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm not a big believer in long training times either. I, you know, I, and I, and I'm not a big believer in standing there and having them listen to me talk for 15 to 20 minutes, you know, it's a sharp, quick, fast practice. We're jumping in, we're out. We have teaching points, no question. Uh, we get in there, but I want to be, you know, I want high tempo. Uh, I want us just going, go, 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 go. I think standing or I know, you know, and again, for me playing for as long as I did, I, I kind of able at times to look back how I felt, you know, I never enjoyed standing there 15, 20 minutes with my arms crossed. Um, I wanted to play. I wanted to go. And, um, you know, so, yeah, we don't go super long. Uh, but what we do is uh, we try to get a lot done in that time uh, and, and have the kind of practice that uh, that flies by. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. It's great to be able to hear that. And I think coaches, again, you can compete throughout a week and still be ready to play and just focus on, again, reducing the the, the training time. But also, again, you can manipulate and modify the level of competition. And I'm imagining you do that, too. Sometimes it's full court and sometimes it's more half court because you're trying to help your players stay fresher, right? hundred percent. Yep. And that is, um, you know, uh, fortunately for us, we have a strength and conditioning coach here. And we talk about that every day. How much should we do? Should we go full court? Should we go half court? Should we play three minutes? Should we? Yeah, uh, it, it, it is a balance you're always looking for. Uh, guys want to play. You know, they really want to get up and down. They really want to go for it. But, you know, there has been so many times in my career where I've had to go, OK, that's enough for today. Let's let's make sure, uh, you know, especially with some of the teams we have uh, playing physical defense, really aggressive. And, you know, you start to get a little bit concerned about injuries. So, um you know, every coach deals with that. Talk to so many coaches. Every coach, uh, you know, can struggle with that, 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 that balance. But there, there's definitely ways around it. Um, and there's definitely ways to play where you're not uh, taxing your guys too much. Curious question. Then you deal with a lot of college players to pro. What are some of the biggest challenges they have in adjusting to the professional game from the college game? 
Well, I mean, it's it's off the court that's the biggest challenge, to be honest with you, coming overseas. Uh, you know, you know, you got guys that, um, you know, say for instance, uh, you know, played at uh, at USC or Colorado or wherever, and you know, they're used to a certain level of treatment over there that may be a little <laughs> different overseas. Um, <laughs> we understand, Coach. We get it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's and we feel like we take care of our players pretty well. Um, but you know, off the court is, is definitely a challenge being so far away from home. Although sometimes I tell them, look in 1996, when I went over, uh, there was no such thing as FaceTime. There was no such thing as being able to watch any show you wanted. I can remember being in JFK airport buying 20 magazines and, you know, making sure I didn't read them too fast because uh, I was concerned I wasn't going to have too much to, to be able to do when I went home at night uh, when my first time to Italy. So um, uh, but these guys, uh, it's certainly it's a it's a culture shock for some of them coming over. Uh, but uh, basketball wise. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, uh, understanding, uh, you know, that you're not here for four years, uh, you know, you're here uh, for a year. We'll see what's happened. Most contracts we sign in a year. And then if you don't produce, it could be shorter than that. This is the way the business is. It was for me, uh, you know, that part of the business can be challenging to certain guys. You know, there's pressure at high levels and they come from these big programs or whatever. But when there's pressure, if you keep your job or not uh, on, on a Saturday night, whether or not, you, you know, you, you deliver, uh, can be a little a little much for for, for guys. So um, you know, we try to, to to make it as comfortable as possible. I try to talk to them and understand where they're coming from, and it's a big part of coaching is the communication with your players. In my opinion, uh, I I think every day I'm trying to communicate with each one of them, and and whether it be basketball wise, off the court, whatever, uh, you know, trying to stay engaged with them because a lot of these guys are so far away from home in such a new environment. Coach, wow. I mean, uh, just love how we connected so many different ideas back to competition and scout and practice and all these different things. And I can't thank you enough. I mean, your success speaks for itself, but uh, just tremendous knowledge and tremendous connections. Thanks for sharing the game with us. Thanks so much, Chris. Love, love the work you guys do. And I uh, appreciate it. It's been an honor to be on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.